Hello, and welcome to the John 315 Podcast, the show where we break open the mysteries of the most popular and misunderstood Bible verses and put them back into context. I am your host. They call me Jonathan, culturally appropriates the word y'all, Van Shank. And here is my co-host. They call him Jeremy, Herculean champion of freedom of speech swingle. Now, Jeremy, why do they call you Herculean champion of freedom of speech? Because I champion your right, Jonathan, to culturally appropriate the word (laughs) y'all. Yes, well, see, the, the joke here is that Jeremy and, and, and me as well uh, also are, are big proponents of freedom of speech, which, you know, is connected with why we're doing this podcast. You know, we think it's really great to, you know, sort out your, your problems by, like, talking to people. Um, you know, and then the for me, it's we, we've already talked about it on the podcast before, but I just really like the word y'all. I just it is such a perfect word. It It solves a huge problem that we have in English of you know the you know not being able to differentiate if you is a singular or a plural and and y'all it's just it's 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 wonderful and even though i didn't grow up in the south i have a little bit of envy that i don't get to like use this word natively i've i've kind of had to just steal it um but i i don't have any shame i just i love the word y'all and i'm going to keep using it actually if i can keep talking here uh, <laughs> i don't just like the word y'all i also like the word y'alls in the possessive because you get to put two apostrophes in one word it's great it breaks every rule that i i champion your right to do it whether you're correct or not <laughs> same with the use of the oxford comma right <laughs> we're not putting anyone in jail over their you know their grammar preferences or their technically not a real word preferences john i i affirm your use of the word (laughs) (laughs) y'all. That's great. Well, you see, because today we're going to be talking about speech and and talking and uh, what the Bible has to say about speech and what we can and can't say. Uh, And so with that just like flawless transition we have right there, let's get into the meat. Cut the chit chat. Let's crack open the word. All right, John. Well, today we have Ephesians chapter five, verse four, to talk about. And I think this is a verse a lot of us have heard and had questions about because it talks about kind of like crude jokes, right? Um, And I think Christians often debate, if not with one another, then at least we kind of wonder in our own minds, you know, what kind of speech is appropriate? Some Christians think it's okay to say some swear words. Some Christians say it's not. We all have kind of different standards of what makes for right speech. So I'm going to go ahead and read it uh, here in the ESV. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So what do you think about this verse, John? What? How do you think people kind of maybe misunderstand this? Yeah, and it, for this one, it's I'm, I'm not certain that it's people specifically misunderstand the content of the verse. I, I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Paul's saying that, like, you know, shouldn't be doing this foolish talk or crude joking or, you know, none of it. It's out of place. I mean, it, it seems pretty straightforward. But it, I, I think that the, 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 the way that people kind of go wrong with this is the kind of application that they make from this verse is that they'll tend to take it in kind of like a legalistic direction where it's like, all right, bub, you best not be telling none of them dirty jokes or making none of them swears or anything. And here's your list of like 10 words that you're not allowed to say. And, you know, kind of like making it about like really pretty hyper specific limits on what is and is not okay to say, which, you know, I I don't think is really Paul's point here. In fact, we're going to argue that, you know, Paul is actually 1000% saying that you shouldn't tell like lewd stories or make like harsh or naughty jokes, but he, he, he's not saying it as in like a, you know, let me here enumerate for you the three things that you shouldn't do. But he's actually kind of putting this inside of a broader argument that he's trying to make about like what speech is and how we should be thinking about it uh, and and using it as Christians. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think this is a convicting verse for me because as we've already established, I definitely am a champion of free speech. <laughs> and while that might be a, you know, a Herculean champion even, I think is <laughs> what I'm called. But uh, but just because something, you know, we should allow other people to say things doesn't mean that all speech is fair game ethically for Christians, right? And I feel like, I don't know, as we look at this verse today, I probably am going to have some <laughs> some apologizing to do to people in my life because I can be cruel with my speech. I don't know about you, John. 
uh, I think you're we're meddling. <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, I think for me, this was a um, very convicting podcast to put together, as you were saying. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be making a lot of statements about like what Christian should and shouldn't do. And I hope the audience will hear that I am like speaking to myself in, in this episode of um, it, it. It's definitely something that I struggle with a lot is trying to be righteous in the way that I talk. Well, don't judge, John. You're not supposed to say anything negative about other people's behavior. <laughs> yes, definitely under no circumstances judge. And under all circumstances, you should listen to our episode on judging. <laughs> it's time for the meat. All right, so we are going to take our classic approach with these verses, and that is look at the immediate context of this verse. You know, unlike last week, actually, where the immediate context was like just a genealogy and it wasn't really super helpful. In this case, the context is super helpful for understanding what this verse is about. So I'm going to read for you here Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, and we'll go, go all the way to verse 12 here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So we he see here that Paul is actually kind of making a much broader point in this section, talking kind of specifically about sexual immorality, but he's kind of linking in some other ideas about like covetousness and idolatry. So I guess, Jeremy, let me ask you the question, like, what do you think the connection is here? Like, Paul's kind of throwing a few of these different ideas uh, or these different kinds of sins or vices together. And, and what do you think is the connection in Paul's head that he's kind of linking all these things together? Sure. Well, I think covetousness goes hand in hand with uh, particularly um, adultery or just lust in general. Uh, it's a particular type of covetousness, right? So I think that would be the link. Um, so I'm thinking of, you know, the command, one of the 10, the big 10, <laughs> the good old big 10 commandments, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, right? Which is talking about um, adultery, uh, at least partially, right? <laughs> Could also be maybe your neighbor's wife is a, is a good cook and you want that as well, but, <laughs> but it definitely includes that element or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then Deuteronomy 5.21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that is your neighbor's. So these two like uh, phrasings of this great commandment uh, are valuable. Yeah, it, I, I think you're totally right, Jeremy, that there definitely is this connection, like in, in the Ten Commandments, certainly this connection between covetousness and sexual immorality, or or in this case, it's uh, adultery with the Ten Commandments. And I have to think that that's probably bouncing around in the back of Paul's head when he's he's writing this section and connecting these two ideas together. But it's also really interesting in, in verse three, Paul says, you know, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And so it, it's interesting that he kind of brings in two of like all impurity and covetousness. Now, we talked about the covetousness being uh, kind of connected to sexual immorality through like the idea of adultery. But it's interesting that he brings out this other idea of like all impurity. You know, we, we joke a lot about how like all means all. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it. 
in, in this case, I think it really brings up this point that it it is kind of an expansive thing that Paul is saying here. He's not like just talking about adultery specifically, which, you know, like we said, the Ten Commandments connects with covetousness, but it's like all kinds of sexual immorality, some of which is impurity, some of which is covetousness, that there are like all kinds of of immoralities, wickedness that you can participate in that's connected with sexuality. And I think Paul is kind of trying to bring in uh, uh, the idea that we're really kind of talking about a really broad swath of ideas here. And and so that kind of is like bringing us in then, I think, when we come to our, our verse in, in question that, you know, it's this kind of pretty broad idea of a, of a wide swath of different kind of sexual immorality that's in view, when we then come to verse four and it says, you know, let there be no filthiness, no nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, is we kind of already have the idea of we're talking about a pretty broad category here. I find it pretty interesting too, John, in, in verse five, that it says covetousness, that is an idolater. Uh, so so like Paul is linking the idea of covetousness as a sort of one-to-one, this is the same thing as idolatry, which, I mean, I don't know if you've heard people talk about idolatry this way before, like in a good sermon <laughs> or anything, but I've, I've definitely heard it preach well to say that, you know, whenever you want something more than God, that's a form of idolatry. You know, you, you might not have a image of wood or stone that you are burning incense to or bowing down before, but you still are valuing it above God. And so if you're coveting that which belongs to your neighbor, whether it's his possessions or if you in lust are, are lusting after his wife, like then both of those things are a form of idolatry for Paul. Yeah, yeah, of like misplacing your values. And of course, in the ancient world, that would have, that connection would have been even clearer because the some of the idols they worshipped were sexually oriented, you know. And we won't go into all the details because it's pretty gross. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, you know, we we try to keep a pretty clean podcast. Here. Yes, very much so. Um, like we're not going to give all of our examples of all the words you shouldn't say by saying them out loud on this podcast, right, John? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, totally. Like the five words you can't say on a Christian podcast. <laughs> we could just flower bed them like they do on the Babylon Bee podcast. <laughs> if you if you are not listening to the Babylon Bee podcast, you should be. <laughs> So let's get into the, the 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 big three vices that we that we have in verse four. So this is filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking. Now it these are actually uh, uh, each one of these are are a single word in in the uh, original language of Greek, and it's really fascinating because each of these words uh, only appear once in the entire New Testament. And you're so, saying that they are hapax legomenae, John. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have to bring out our like fancy theology term every week. So what 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 is that that fancy word that you just said, Jeremy? A hapax legomena, John. Just so everybody knows that I got my money's <laughs> worth at Bible college. Uh, it, basically, it's just uh, I think it's a Latin phrase. I'm guessing. Um, well, either Latin or Greek. Yeah. Okay. I just looked it up. I don't know what I was thinking. Of course, it's Greek because omenon, the M E N O N, is definitely a Greek thing. But, oh uh, yeah, yes, so... clearly, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just I hadn't thought about it in a while. Um, and I don't know Latin, so I couldn't rule it out. But uh, yeah, so hapax legomena means a thing that occurs only one time within a given like body of literature. And the whole point of the term is like, oh, we don't have any other texts to compare these words to. This is like, we're kind of on our own as to figuring out what the words mean uh, based on our understanding of the language and the root words and, and prefixes and all of that. So the, basically the point being that we're a little less certain about the meaning of these words, uh, or at least we can be a little less certain. Uh, it depends. Sometimes you, uh, there's a hapax legomenon that is actually we are pretty sure what it means, but <laughs> right. But it, it it does mean that like you know this isn't like a word that Paul uses all the time in his letters, and so we can compare six different verses and his utilization in the context to you know really understand all of the deep nuances of what this word would have meant in the mind of Paul when he was like writing these words down. Like we, we don't have any other examples of Paul using this word. And so we have to rely on other means of being able to make sense of it. You know, it's in this case, kind of really just the context of the verse and then also parsing what the actual roots are that make it up. 
So in other words, when Paul says filthiness, we can't like in our heads be aware of a list of 30 words in Greek that Paul thought you shouldn't say. <laughs> These are forbidden taboo words for Christians, because frankly, we don't have any other contexts to compare this word with. So it's not as though it has a super precise definition. Right, right. But we can get into some of the pieces that we do actually know about these words. So let's uh, uh, take them in reverse order here, actually. So we'll start with crude joking. Now, it's it, th this one's kind of interesting. Uh, a couple different English translations translate this phrase differently. So ESV renders it crude joking. The NIV and the NLT both render it coarse joking. And good old KJV uh, renders this jesting. Now, it, it, it's really interesting because of the context, uh, you know, we're talking about kind of sexual immorality here. And so that would seem to suggest that, you know, maybe this is like lewd joking or, you know, making like a dirty joke, which seems to be the way that the ESV is, is taking this word to mean. It's like a crude joke. But the, the, the word itself doesn't like necessarily mean that. And, and depending, it could also refer to something more like a harsh joke where you're like making a joke at someone's expense which seems to be kind of the way that like the NIV or the NLT or even like the KJV are kind of taking this word to mean. Well, yeah, uh, I think that for that word, I would agree that the context, you know, since it's talking about sexual immorality, seems to be going in the direction of lewdness, right? A, a dirty joke. Um, but that one's a little tricky, different translations. But uh, I think the next term, foolish talk, this one is a little more unanimous. All the translations say foolish talk. Um and it seems to be like kind of similar to English idioms, spouting nonsense, running your mouth. <laughs> um, and it could even be connected to like in verse six when it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Uh, could be like kind of a, a similar idea later in the passage. Just, you know, run in your mouth, just saying things that you're not really sure what you mean. You're contributing things to the conversation, but maybe those things aren't actually contributing to the conversation. Um and this is just a fun little tidbit. Um, it doesn't mean that much as far as interpreting goes, but the Greek word behind this has the same root as our English word moron. <laughs> so, so, you know, if you're, if you're talking this way, you're a moron. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you can't conclude that much from like a root word and, and what it ends up meaning in English, but I find that fun. So that's foolish talk. Now, what about filthiness? What do you think about that word? Yeah, well, it, it's really interesting because this one is, th this word is a little bit more vague than the other two where like foolish talk and crude joking. It's kind of pretty concrete, the, the kinds of actions that, that are intended or, or sort of associated with this. But filthiness it's almost weird because it doesn't even really feel like a, a like a verb. It's not like you're like doing filthy things or something. It's it, it's just kind of this like kind of broader category, you know. But given that it's listed with these two other verbal activities of you know like a, a foolish talk and crude joking, it would seem that that Paul also has in mind a, a, another kind of like speech activity that's involved here, and so in this sense, it would be like likely Paul is referring to some kind of like licentious speech, you know, perhaps like, you know, regaling somebody with a like a lewd story or something like that. But again, the, the word is potentially more broad than that, which you can see reflected in the way that it's translated as like filthiness rather than like specifically talking about like, you know, dirty story or, you know, something like that. But kind of all these points together is one of the things I, I, I think we should focus on is that I don't think that Paul here is trying to enumerate specific kinds of speech that are wicked. Like, it's not like he's saying, like, here are the three things you should under no circumstances do. And, you know, I, I think Paul really is just kind of like including these as three kinds of examples of a way of talking or a way of interacting with speech that is wrong. And and this is kind of connected to the same idea of what he just did in the previous verse with, you know, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness that Paul is kind of talking broadly. He's not saying like adultery is bad. He's talking about generally sexual immorality, which certainly includes adultery, but it's not limited to that. And I think that's the same idea here that Paul is giving concrete examples, but not necessarily to focus specifically on those examples, but just to give you a flavor for the kind of uh, activity that he's trying to incorporate here. Yeah, and I definitely think your point is correct, John, that like the sexual immorality is, is one aspect of this, but then you also have the idolatry and the covetousness. And these things are all wrapped up 
uh, together for this one passage. And that's why you get this interesting, like you have filthiness and crude joking, which seem to be more along the line of kind of, you know, sexual content in your speech. But then you have this foolish talk, which is a little more like that could be anything. It could be any waste of words, any, you know, put downs of other people, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, so it seems that, that this is pretty expansive to the whole range of like immoral speech. Yeah, totally. And so the kind of maybe one thing that we can start thinking about here is, you know, the verse leads with these three kind of like vices, these three wrong ways of speaking. But then it ends with, you know, but instead there should be thanksgiving. So these three specific instances are being contrasted with the idea of thanksgiving. So, Jeremy, like what what do you like what what do you think's going on here? Like how is thanksgiving contrasted with these three vices that we've just talked about well immediately what comes to my mind is thanksgiving is the antithesis of idolatry (laughs) instead of like instead of valuing something (laughs) above god totally we thank god who is the ultimate provider of all things for the things that he has given us so instead of valuing the things god gives above god himself we value god ultimately and thank him for whatever he does give us so i think that's a very different way to orient ourselves toward God. And that's why whenever we find ourselves, our desires in excess, whether that's, you know, uh, again, whether that's sexual immorality or whether it's just, you know, wanting too much money, which we've talked about a lot lately on the podcast. Instead, we need to give thanks for the things we do have that automatically kind of settles our heart away from idolatry, away from that direction. So that's how we can avoid these types of speech. And of course, like it's out of our heart that our mouth speaks. That's what Jesus teaches. So if in our heart, there's not thanksgiving toward God, then it's going to come out in our speech in all kinds of filthy, crude, foolish ways. Yeah, totally, Jeremy. I think you are hitting the nail on the head with this idea of what thanksgiving does is it orients us toward God. I I think it's really interesting that, you know, thanksgiving is it, it's like it's also a verbal activity, like it's a, like a thing that you say. Now, you know, it might be like something you say in your heart, but it, it's still kind of connected with this speech idea. But what's what's really interesting to me about this is that, you know, things like filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, those are all like speech patterns that we direct toward one another. Like, you know, this is I tell someone a crude joke, but. Thanksgiving is something that's directed toward God. Like, I don't give my thanks to another person. It's like, it's, it's God that I direct my thanks to. And so it's really interesting that the contrast of rather than speaking unrighteously to other people, what you should be doing is speaking rightly toward God as, you know, like you're saying, of, of giving him the thanks that he is, that he is due. Yeah, proper orientation toward God, then it, then it sort of flows into a love for your neighbor and a use of the, the kinds of w- words that are going to build your neighbor up instead of tear him down. Yeah, exactly, Jeremy. And in fact, I think that's kind of part of Paul's point. If you look even a little earlier, like, you know, you know, the section we were just looking at here is talking about sexual immorality. But the way that chapter five opens up is, you know, therefore be imitators of God, you know, loving one another as Christ has loved you. Um, I might have like not quoted that perfectly right there. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so it's definitely this, like being imitators of God is very much this, the, the focus that we're having, the way that we direct and orient ourselves is toward God. But the result of that is that we walk in love, the kind of love that Christ has given to us. And in that space of being made like God and being made like Jesus, the natural outpouring of that is right speech. Yeah, and and so that's kind of the argument that we're making here is this um, idea that it's like out of your right heart with God is where like good righteous speech comes from. Now, lest you think we're just kind of pulling that out of a hat, we we do think that that's really what the con- what the context of this passage dictates. Now, we talked a little bit about, you know, the way that chapter 5 opens up, but really chapter 5 is, you know, it, it begins with like, therefore, be imitators of God. And as we've talked about on the podcast, when you see the word therefore, it's because Paul is like, it's because the author is continuing an argument. So really, this this whole section is a continuing of the argument that Paul is beginning to make in chapter 4. Now, in chapter 4, Paul kind of goes on this 
discussion about like the kind of life that the Ephesians had before they were Christians. He talks about kind of the 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 lives that they lived as as pagans is you know the word that he uses. But then he contrasts that with the lives that they should now live. Kind of the the picture that he uses in chapter 4 is like you should put off the old self, like you know taking off a garment, like take off your old self and put on the new self, this like new person that you are in Jesus. And, you know, so it's, it's very much this, like, this identity that you have with you now, not necessarily like a, like a list of actions that you're doing. And, and Paul uh, goes then through a number of examples of this, and he uses kind of a repeating sentence form of, you know, you should put away this, or you should not do this, or you should be far from this thing. Rather, you should do this other thing. And so he kind of does this, uh, uh, it's very Proverbs-y kind of parallelism idea. And, and he does it to kind of contrast this old life before Christ and the new life that you should live in Christ. Let's look at an example of this. Uh, you know, the way that he concludes chapter 4 uh, here, we can start uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So we we can see here this same sentence construction of, you know, let such and such be put away, rather be such and such. And, you know, so he's listing all of these, these vices of like bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and kind of the idea is that this is what characterized your life before Christ. But now that you're in Christ, you should be imitators of God. And that looks like being kind to one another, being tenderhearted, forgiving one another, walking in love. And so when we get down to Ephesians 5.4, he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Paul, he's continue, continuing his point. He's using the same sentence construction. Don't do the foolish talk thing, rather do the thanksgiving thing. And so he's continuing this idea that there was a way that you spoke before Christ, but there is a new way that you should speak in Christ. Well, that's just a cool pattern I had not noticed before. So <laughs> thanks for pointing that out. Um, and, and, you know, I just think we should give a hearty thanksgiving to God that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, help, helped us interpret his letters <laughs> with this like Certainly. contrast. <laughs> thing because we might not know the exact definition of these three terms the filthiness the foolish talk the crude joking but we know what the opposite of them is and that helps us understand kind of what paul's point is right uh thanksgiving is the opposite of those three things so that's that's kind of cool it does give us a little bit of an interpretation key so to speak uh two thousand years later um when we can't directly pull uh paul and ask him what did you mean when you said this word <laughs> yeah, there's no like first century dictionary of Koine Greek that we can look up. I think it's also, yeah, I think it's kind of funny. I'm sure if Paul were to like get into a time portal and appear in the 21st century and we like asked him, so what did you mean by, you know, moral logia, by foolish talk? Are you really saying that these people are morons <laughs> or whatever it is? You know? Like Paul would be so <laughs> puzzled that we're even asking the question. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like, do you really want to know all of the like all of the details just give thanks like <laughs> like i don't know i think he i think he would see the point of his writing as like we actually don't need to know the whole like uh list that could comprise these three words right, right. we just need to know what the the i guess the christian approach to to speech is um <laughs> but yeah i i think that now that you mention it john i think later in chapter 5 there's another one of these good contrasts when paul says um in, in verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's interesting. So you, you have getting drunk with wine, which is wrong. <laughs> and then you have being filled with the Spirit, which results in singing to one another, to the Lord, and, and with one another, I should say. Um, and so, I don't know, I, I think of getting drunk with wine as one means by which we can devolve into foolish talking, right? We are out of control. We are, you know, just talking for our mouth to run. 
Um, which, you know, anybody who's ever been around a drunk person knows what that's like. Uh, so it, it's another interesting thing here. Like, let's give thanks instead of getting drunk on wine. And we see that contrast. Yeah, no, I think you're uh, 100% correct about that, Jeremy. And I also think it's fascinating that what Paul says is, you know, do not get drunk on wine for that is debauchery. Now, he doesn't say that's drunkenness. He says debauchery. Now, debauchery is interesting because it kind of carries this context of like, like partying or, you know, kind of like it, it, it's like it's almost social is kind of the impression that I'm getting. And so it's really fascinating that then there's this contrast of like, you know, not drunk on wine, which is debauchery, which in my mind is kind of evoking this idea of, you know, some kind of like wild party where, you know, you like <laughs> to use a phrase from a previous podcast, cast off restraint, <laughs> uh, you know, but but rather it's like be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms, hymns and hymns and spiritual songs. And so it's it's almost this like clash of ways of doing community where there is a way of doing community that is debauchery and drunkenness and you know, this kind of like wild partying that you can relate to one another. But then there is this being filled with the spirit way of be of relating to one another. Yeah, there's there's like two ways to have a good time, right? One of them leads to death. One is debauchery. It's fun in the moment, but it leads to nothing. And then the other is is the sort of, you know, good time, the sort of community that leads to building everybody up in the Lord. And it's characterized by thanksgiving. By, you know, singing, of course, so that would be like when we go to church, right? <laughs> but um, but just in general, it's characterized by the sort of speech that isn't covetous, isn't envious of others, isn't always desiring, you know, sexual conquest of sorts, right? It's it's not treating other people as a means to an end, but rather building one another up in the Lord. And this is the kind of holiness we should be putting on as Christians. So, you know, we should be seeking to be the, but instead, let there be. <laughs> part of Paul's, I don't know, part of Paul's like manner of speech here. We should be the but instead Christians, not the, you know, <laughs> let there be no, you know, pre-Christian self. I don't know that that made any sense, but. <laughs> no, no, I, th I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting what you're saying right there. And, but, but I, I think it's interesting because going through this whole section is, it's about this idea of like putting on the new life in Christ. And, you know, it's about doing these things like thanksgiving, which, you know, as as we've kind of harped on, is about an orientation toward God. And so the call here is certainly holiness. It's, you know, you should make this sharp distinction between the life before and the life now. But Paul isn't making it as like a legalistic argument of, you know, make sure you are giving thanks this number of times. Like, that's not his point at all. And his point rather is this different kind of life that comes out of a right orientation toward God. So it's not about following rules, but it's more about seeking to honor our king and love one another, which is what we do when our hearts are oriented properly toward God. Well, before we move on um, and look at some other passages, John, I want to talk about these last two verses, verses 11 and 12 in Ephesians 5, the last of the two verses we quoted at least. Um, because I've always found them a bit puzzling. So I'm, I'll read them again. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. So my question is this. We didn't prepare anything for this, <laughs> but I, these verses just drive me nuts. So how do we expose the unfruitful works of darkness without speaking of them? <laughs> Like I don't know, I don't have any clue what Paul means here. Maybe you can either help me or puzzle me further. <laughs> Certainly, Jeremy. Well, I, I so in 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 my preparation for this this episode, I did come across a commentary that made an argument for this, and I don't know. I'm still I'm still thinking through this, and um, I I'm not sure if I necessarily totally buy their argument, but I will present it here, and we can all draw our own conclusions. Um, this this uh, uh, commentary that I was reading. Um, mentioned that the, the 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 phrase here of like you know to speak of these things, um, you know in in English it kind of gives us the idea of like oh we shouldn't even like say this thing to one another, but in the original language it also kind of carries this idea of like something being like named among a people, so it's like the you know the idea is like it's shameful for these things to be named among us. 
you know, you know, these these things that are done in secret. And so the, the, the commentary is suggesting that perhaps this is not saying that we shouldn't like talk about these things to one another to expose them, but it's rather saying that if like, you know, someone seeing us thinks that this is what we are doing, then like they will speak of us about these things. I'm not sure I'm like articulating this super well here. Well, in verse three, it, it says, you know, sexual morality, impurity, covetousness must not be named among you. Right. So so that would be entirely in, in line with the passage. Yeah. And so I think and so I, I think the argument that they're making is that Paul is coming back to that same idea again at the end of that, like, it would be shameful for these things to be named among you, to, you know, to even speak of these things, um, you know, or even maybe perhaps even these things be spoken about you. But again, it's in. It, it doesn't seem super consistent with the English rendering here because it's like, you know, for it's sh- for it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret, which really sounds like don't talk about it. So I like I, I'm with you. I, I'm not sure I totally get what verse 12 is really calling us to do necessarily. I, I I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I don't know the way I've just dealt with it and I haven't read any commentaries, but I, this makes sense to me. Is that it says it's shameful to speak of the things they do in secret, but like, I mean, it's not sinful to speak of it. It might be shameful and it might be unpleasant, but it actually might be necessary to speak of them in order to expose those unfruitful works of darkness. So I think when I I think Paul is not making any comment on whether it is right or not to speak of the things, but perhaps is, is commenting that there's a particular set of decorum and decency and wisdom that we should have when we approach speaking of such things because they are shameful. And so in the same way that we're not, you know, enumerating a list of dirty words on this podcast or like topics related to sexual immorality, that would be, you know, unpleasant to talk about or whatever, just because it's not, it would distract from the point of our podcast to speak of those shameful things. Um, so we're trying to exercise a degree of wisdom, even though in a different context, if we were trying to be technical, we might actually want to use those words, not as a means of, of crude joking or foolishness or whatever, but just as a means of being a hundred percent clear about the word we're talking about. So I don't know, that's kind of how I think about it. And, you know, personally, uh, I actually served on a jury over the last couple of weeks, um, for a case that was very, very, very shameful, <laughs> right? But literally, the whole point of a of a court case is to expose every detail of it, right? Um, and so we had to sit and listen to all this testimony about this, you know, pretty revolting stuff, stuff that I will not talk about on the podcast, even though I'm no longer under oath to not say it, but just because it's not pleasant to talk about. But in order to expose the unfruitful works of darkness that had taken place we had to talk about them for like several days of deliberation as a jury. So I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's something I've been thinking about lately just because of personal things in my life. Yeah, totally. I could see that. And, um, I, and, and actually I, I think, I think I like that way of making sense of it that you've brought there for, cause that, that, that sort of rings true to me that I'm seeing. It's like, you know, you shouldn't take part in these things for it's shameful even to speak about them. But, you know, so I guess if I like rip the sentence apart a little bit and kind of rearrange it, that'd be like, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness for it's shameful even to speak about the things they do in secret, but instead expose them. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying. Yep. And, you know, it's like it's rearranged a little bit there. But I, I, I think that I, I, I could really see that as kind of what Paul is trying to say here. So, yeah, I, I, I like that, Jeremy. Well, that basically wraps up what we have to talk about in, you know, specifically with Ephesians chapter 5. But I, I, I think we should take a, a little bit of time here and talk more generally about just speech in from a biblical perspective. And like, you know, like what is speech? And, and I guess maybe specifically our focus here is on like wrong kinds of speech. So, Jeremy, I guess I wanted to ask you, like, you know, there are different kinds of like sins of speech. Um, you know, things like slander or gossip or, you know, grumbling or, you know, cursing or like swearing. But like, what is it really about patterns of speech that like make them wrong or like make them unrighteous? Well, let's maybe take all of those in turn because I think they're each their own little bundle of joy, not really joy, (laughs) their own (laughs) bundle of sinfulness. Um, (laughs) So, all right. So hit me with the first. So like, why, like, why is slander wrong? Yeah. Well, uh, to talk around the point, um, 
<laughs> we are saturated with slander today, don't you think? Like, just, if there's one sin that characterizes America right now, I think it might be slander, which is really hard to say because there's a lot of issues going on right now in our country. But, I mean, anybody who watched the political debate, and I'm not getting into details, but just, like, it's just old men screaming at each other. I mean, like... <laughs> And the news every day is just full of literal, obvious, like verifiable lies. I don't understand this world we live in where people think that it's okay to just go around saying untrue things, like not verifiable things about one another. So that's kind of me talking around <laughs> the issue. Of course, the reason it's bad is, you know, you're not supposed to bear false witness against your neighbor. So, you know, that's another one of those big tens, those great old uh, commandments. Yeah, 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 totally. And and I and I would say that it even goes like a little bit deeper than that that there is like a sense in which we don't get to decide what reality is that like, you know, God's the one who set up reality as it is. And so I think that there's this sense in which slander is like trying to deny reality or work at like cross purposes with what is real and what is true and so it's this like you you are like trying to fight against god and the way that he has established his world well and specifically doing so in a way that's meant to tear down your neighbor yeah definitely like it's not just you are deceiving yourself which is a sin in its own right but you're regarding it as a necessary use of your language to go around saying things that you either know are false about other people or that you should know are false. Like, I think slander includes people who are completely given over to, like, uh, some sort of narrative in which they need to say negative things about everybody who belongs to a different political, um, regardless of, like, whether they actually know anybody who belongs to that that camp or not. So, I mean, I'm talking about politics right now because we have an election in a few weeks and it's just on my mind. And I think, yeah, the defining sin of the American political system and media, you know, is slander. So that's why I'm thinking about that. Of course, it also can can be non-political. It could just be in your everyday life spreading lies about people. But um, but yeah, it, it obviously over time it erodes uh, social cohesion when everybody's assuming the worst about one another. And saying things that aren't proven about one another, you know, assuming the worst of everybody's character is just, yeah, <laughs> I think we have the whole, you shall not bear false witness verse. But even aside from the Bible, I think it's abundantly clear in culture right now why slander is such a problem. Right. Yeah. It's like, you you know, you don't even need the special revelation of like God's word to, to know that this is a <laughs> terrible idea. Yep. Well, I think kind of the second one you mentioned is gossip. It It is a similar for me to slander, except I think I think of gossip, I, I don't know, as more of like you're saying things that are actually true, at least on some level, but you're doing so with no caution as to like sometimes true things don't need to be said. Sometimes it's better to let, you know, your neighbor keep their own business. Um, it, you know, like it's shameful to speak of the things they do in secret. Kind of we were talking about earlier. Sometimes your neighbor might be guilty of a sin, but there's nothing to be accomplished by pointing it out to everyone other than <laughs> other than like you're just trying to one up your neighbor. Like, look at how bad my neighbor is. That's kind of how I think about gossip. I'm not sure if that's exactly the, the biblical definition. I don't know. What do you think, John? Yeah, totally. I, and, you know, I, I think even to uh, add to that point a little bit, too, is, you know, you get this this, uh, uh, you know, principle in Matthew that, that Jesus talks about of like, you know, if your brother sins against you, like, you know, go to them first. Uh, and it's this idea of like, you know, resolve things, you know, at in the the, the smallest group possible. And it's like, you, you know, you only go out to, you know, uh, like other people if you, you can't resolve it with the person. And, you know, and, and, and I think that's kind of connected to this idea of gossip of that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, you shouldn't just be telling everybody everything necessarily. There is a uh, like a kind of privacy that you should be protecting for your neighbors. But uh, and I and I think though there's another element of gossip too. Of there's there's an element of like speculation that's involved with it too, where it's like, well, I heard this, and so it's like you know it it may be true, it may not be true, but it is a like. It, it, it you know it, it it also has to do with truth where it's you're like denying or or it, it's like rather than trying to verify something 
you are just spreading your speculation because it's intriguing or it's interesting. Did you hear the and one about Alfred? Th- no, no, what? <laughs> it's from a VeggieTales oh. episode. <laughs> <laughs> the rumor weed? The rumor ooh, weed, ooh, yes. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be rumors. Well, gossip, I think, kind of goes along with it, right? Yeah. Um, although that might be more slander because that's like a definitively false idea that Alfred is a robot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think um, there's a way to know things that are true, which obviously as Christians, we would exalt like getting to the bottom of something, right? Knowing what's factual and what's not. But there's a way to wield that information like a sword to cut people down with instead of you know, recognizing the wisdom of restraint. (laughs) And definitely Jesus is getting at that when he says, just go to your neighbor first. Like there's a time at which the whole community might need to know that a particular sin has taken place. You know, Paul talks in in somewhere in first, second Timothy Titus about elders should be rebuked publicly, right? And, And if someone in the community is a danger, then that should be known. But not every fact needs to be widely proclaimed, right? Well, how would you feel if like all of your sins had a particular smell? So like anytime you walked through the supermarket aisle, people could smell all your sins, right? Obviously that would suck. <laughs> like you don't want to, you don't want to know everybody else's sins right off the top of the bat, nor would you want everyone else to know you. There's a certain level of like wisdom and, and actually just, we should be thankful to God that our whole self is not exposed to the world with all of our foibles and faults. Right. Yeah, and and I think you, you you're hitting on something there too where it's, you know, as Christians, of course we should like want to know the truth of things. But I don't think that that means that we should seek to know all things. And you know, I I think there's some things where it's like, you know, we don't have any business knowing it and it would be wrong for us to seek it out. And I think that's kind of the other side of gossip is like inviting gossip of you know, like, oh, did you hear this thing? You're like, oh, tell me more. Yes. Like, it's this, like, seeking out that which, like, is not your business. Very much the case. Yep. (laughs) I find myself struggling more with that. I feel like I can keep a secret pretty well, but I always want to know the secret. Yeah, totally. And so, I I don't know, that's, you're you're convicting me, John. Stop it. (laughs) Well, this whole, this whole episode's been convicting to me. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So, what about this uh, third one? We talked about grumbling. Yeah, to me, grumbling is is just, you know, it, it goes along with a lack of Thanksgiving, foolish talk. Yeah, I I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly what, like, the definition of the word is, but it, again, it makes me think of, like, an animal that's kind of, like, growling over its food or whatever. You know, we're not even, like, saying concrete words. We're just mad and we're kind of like, <clears throat> like, you know, <laughs> like, there's no content to our speech. It's just aggravation. Um, so, of course, you know, the, the Israelites had huge problems with grumbling against God when they were wandering. And the wilderness, right? That's kind of the whole manna thing. Uh, they're hungry. And instead of, you know, asking God for provision and thanking him for the provision that they did have, they just grumbled. <laughs> so that's that kind of is wrapped up in the idea of giving thanks. And I think that's how we avoid it. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, I, I kind of think of this also connected with like complaining that this is one that's like super convicting for me also that like when I'm complaining to other people, I kind of think of it, it, it's like a kind of grumbling where it's rather than focusing on the way that God has provided for me and the good that he has brought to me, I'm like, well, no, instead I'm going to focus on the things that are inconvenient and that I don't like instead. And I, I, I think it's kind of connected with this idea here. And it, that one, grumbling's a, that, that, that's a hard one for me. I really need to be working hard not to be grumbling, but to be speaking well in the things that I say. Well, here we have this this kind of this last one, which I think is kind of the big E on the I chart when it comes to this verse and Christians thinking about how they should be talking. And that is like swearing. And I don't mean swearing an oath, but like cussing, you know, using certain words, right? <laughs> um, we label them with like the first letter of the word, right? The B word, the S word, right? That kind of cussing. Yeah. Um, and this is a tough one because as we were saying earlier, like there's not a a certain prohibited list of words, like there's no circumstances under which you can say this word. Paul doesn't do that, um, nor would it really work even if he had done that because English wasn't invented yet. <laughs> so I think there's some level in which we have to identify that words change over time and the Bible's not going to give us some like concrete answer to every single issue here. You know, There's some words that used to be considered very offensive that aren't anymore. What do we do about that? 
but I think that, that we still do identify a certain like kind of canon in our culture, a certain canon of cuss words, right? Like these are things you don't say at a job interview. <laughs> these are things you don't say around children, those sorts of things. You might say them a lot in your personal life, but uh, you're, you're cautious about where you throw them out, I suppose. I don't know. Like, what do you think about this, John? <laughs> yeah, I think I think this one is the I think it's the hardest one to deal with, because I, I think there's a sense in which having strong language for specific circumstances is useful. Like, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of like how I could talk about this without using any swear words. <laughs> well, no, I, I think I get what you're saying, though. There's there's moments in which it feels like very strong language is apt to the circumstance. And they're, they're kind of rare. I mean, the, the, the sort of wanton going about just like dropping F-bombs everywhere, I think is pretty definitively against the idea of, you know, Thanksgiving, right? It's, it's foolish talk, right? Right. So, yeah. But, you but know, the, but I think there's <laughs> the, 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 the classic example of Paul, you know, saying like, you know, I count it all like, you know, refuse, you know, and, and the, the Greek word that he's, you know, using there is, uh, what is it? Scubalon? Scubalon what's is the, the word. The yes. Although that is, yeah, and, that is often overstated. Scubalon is kind of like a impolite word, but it's not a cuss word. It's not equivalent to the S word, which some people have tried to say it is. And scubalon means like rubbish. It, it can be a reference to like poop. <laughs> um yeah yeah but but it doesn't mean the s word like some people have alleged certainly but i but i think it, it does still make the point that like paul's not being polite when he's using this word like it's crass what he's saying but given the context is he's being crass for a reason like he's being there there's a specific purpose that he's trying to accomplish with using that and and i think that there is like utility in our language for having words that are you know it, 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 well, it's it's contextual. It's like you know, you're not you, you shouldn't always be polite if the thing that you're talking about isn't a polite thing, you know. Like I, I'm not sure. Does that make any sense? Sure. Just like you know, it's shameful to speak of the things they do in secret, but not necessarily sinful. There might be a circumstance in which you need to expose something, and then in that case, you might have to talk about it, you know, with the aptness of the words. Right. Yeah. So I I don't know. <laughs> I said, but at the same time, I think we need to be really careful around words that are. And and not just like words that are crass, but I think also words that have like particular connotations. Like, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, swears that would be like, you know, using the Lord's name in vain or, you know, calling on the, you know, calling on God to, uh, you know, calling on the Lord to, you know, uh, to uh, consign something to hell. Uh, you know, there's a particular phrase. Right. Well, like damnation. Right? Yes. Yeah, totally. And um, we use that as a swear word now. Right. Which is like, <laughs> I think probably way worse than what we as a culture consider to be like the most offensive swear words. I, I think, you know, the D word is is sort of considered a light swear word. It's kind of like your introduction to swearing, your gateway drug into, into cussing. You know, when you're young, you discover the D word and you're like, oh, this is like not as powerful as some of the other words. I can say this and my mom won't get that mad at me. But like, it's actually probably way worse from a Christian perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's like if, if you think about the theological implications of that, where you are like actually calling on God to you know, consign something to hell. Like, that is a huge deal. And, like, I, I don't know, I, I think about this, and it, it's really convicting to me of, you, you know, thinking about if the thing that I am denouncing is not actually, you know, damnable in in the technical sense of it, it's like, I'm, like, calling for God to be unjust in something that he's doing. And, it, and like, more than that, specifically when you bring the theological understanding into there where it's like you know we are damnable like like that's something that we deserve but like god in his mercy has saved us and now for us to turn around and call on god to damn something that does not deserve it is i i i, I don't know i think there is a I, like irony isn't enough to encapsulate how like twisted and backwards i think that is well, that's that's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount that anyone who says you fool to a brother or sister will be in danger of the fire of hell. Right? He's saying if you would damn your brother with your language, then you yourself will be damned. <laughs> that's the that's kind of what Jesus is saying. That's in the section about being angry with a brother is tantamount to murder, right? And so to curse somebody is to swear a rash oath against them 
as in like you're so mad at them that you would consign them to the fires of hell right which is like pretty horrible <laughs> to say about a person like and and it's also you know so that's terrible to say about people but then you know if you're just like playing a video game and you know mario dies right before you get the the star i've been playing super mario 3d all-stars lately on my switch um <laughs> right and, and you're like frustrated ah the camera messed up right and you just like curse <laughs> and you ask god to damn your nintendo switch well that's like that's the height of flippancy like that's <laughs> just complete foolish talk right there you know you're, you're getting angry over over something that shouldn't shouldn't cause such anger so whether it's against a person or against an inanimate object it's it's an entirely you know abusive way to use that right. that language and I think also similarly to like, you know, if we say, oh, my God, but is as a cuss word um, instead of a prayer, <laughs> right, a cry out to God for help, like or using Jesus's name in vain. Well, we have deliberate like commandments forbidding that. That's more than just saying a cuss word. That's, you know, calling God's own name as a curse against yourself, kind of. I don't know. Um, so these things are considered some of the lesser swear words in our culture, but I think there's some of the some of the worst ones and probably the ones we should be focused the most on avoiding. Yeah, especially, you know, considering comparing that to the things that our culture does, you know, does think are, you know, really terrible of like, you know, comparing something to a particular, you know, refuse from the body or, you know, comparing something to an indecent act that like, you know, th those things are definitely like bad, but, you know, comparing it to like using the name of our redeemer as a curse like yeah i i hear what you're saying that like i think we should be much more concerned about that well something that's interesting along these lines uh that i want to point out there's a great book um by steven pinker is the author he's a fascinating guy not a christian but um fascinating author he wrote a book called the stuff of thought and it's sort of like a intro to linguistics but not in like a textbook way it's kind of written popularly um it's a great, great book. I loved it. Uh, and so, but he has a whole chapter about cussing <laughs> and um, I'm not, I'm not going to do the argument justice, but he points something out that ha will always stick with me because I think it's fascinating. And that is that cultures that are predominantly religious tend to view the worst cuss words as things like, you know, damnation, what we were just talking about. Those are like the worst cuss words in those cultures to, to you know, curse or to, um, you know, reference something religious but to do so in, in, a, in a manner of, you know, cursing. So, and I mean, that's kind of where the word cursing comes from as a synonym for saying, you know, any sort of taboo word. It, it comes from that idea of religious cursing. However, cultures that are less religious, or we might say post-religious in the case of the United States and, you know, the majority of Europe, we are post-religious. And actually, we have substituted as our worst words, uh, words that have to do with sex. So, you know, like <laughs> we won't enumerate them in the English language, but pretty much all of the worst cuss words, the ones that you would definitely never say at a job interview <laughs> right, are explicitly sexual words. And I think that that is just fascinating that as a culture, again, we keep referencing verse 12. It is shameful to speak of the things they do in secret. I might be over like psychologizing our culture, but I think it speaks to what we consider shameful and what brings us personal shame that we are more offended and we place more taboo on those words that have to do with sex than those words that have to do with our relationship to God, right? So the pe we've cast off restraint, <laughs> so to speak, right? And we are very indiscriminate in our use of our bodies with one another. And I think people internalize shame over that and whether they're admitting it to themselves or not. And but people don't think about God. We don't consider God anymore. We don't consider that our relationship to him might be the most important reality in existence, uh, whether, you know, regardless of what we do with our bodies, you know, that we would first want to orient ourselves in relationship to him. And then, you know, we would want to reorient our, our sexuality. So I, I think it speaks to what people consider the most important thing. And it's not God, <laughs> which says a lot about us. I don't know. Yeah. And, I'm, and, and, and that's Paul's point when... He's making the connection to idolatry, that that is one of the idols that our culture has set up. And it's, you know, this this idea of directing our attention and our focus and our value away from God onto other if, other things, which at its core, I think, is where most sin comes from. Very true. 
So maybe these words, like these list of taboo words, which we've been a little inconclusive about, we've said maybe there are certain extreme circumstances in which they can be used, but generally are not a good idea. Um, you know, which maybe if you, if y'all have different opinions, email us, because um, I've been trying to figure this out for myself. I'd be, you know, very happy to hear feedback on this. I'm sure John would too. But um, I think kind of the point we're trying to get at is especially let's avoid cursing in the religious sense. And um, let's be the kind of people who don't need to air all of our like thoughts about the shameful things people do in secret, right? We don't need to be talking constantly about these these ideas, these, you know, uh, indecent things. I don't know. That's kind of what I'm getting out of our discussion here, John, uh, about cuss words in particular. It's time for the other meat. All right, John, I don't know if you can smell that, but it sure smells to me like the other meat is cooking. Yep, that sizzles great, Jeremy. And man, this episode has been sizzly. I I have I have really um been preaching to myself a lot during this episode. And and that's the way that it's going to go with all of these application points as well. These are these are application points for me to take home, but I figured I'd share them with you all here as well. <laughs> so, application point number 1 is that, you know, we should be careful how we speak. You know, God has given us language, and it's good. He's given it to us for a reason, that we can be speaking our thanksgiving to him, that we can be building one another up, that we can be speaking truth, that we can be doing all of the new life in Christ things that Paul talks about in Ephesians, of loving one another, being kind, building each other up. And, you know, that's what language is for, and so we should be careful that that's what we're doing with it. Very true. And enlightened in line with the uh, the idea of building one another up, I think a second application point would be it isn't so much about like which words are okay and which aren't. It's more about speaking aptly to the circumstances and using words that build one another up uh, and having the right heart attitude that leads to, I guess, a natural flow <laughs> of good words and good speech to our neighbor. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, connected with that, I think application point number three is that we should be sensitive to the Spirit's correction. You know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, that there are, you know, these different kinds of ways of speaking that are wrong. And I think it's easy sometimes to think of things like swearing or like telling a joke that, you know, might be kind of a little bit naughty or something like that as, you know, like, well, okay, yeah, maybe it would, wasn't really the best thing to say, but it's not really that bad of a deal. But it, I, I mean, that's not really the perspective that we get from scripture that, Language is a big deal. And I mean, we didn't really get into a lot of the other passages that talk about language in the Bible, but the Bible is chock full of examples of how important language is and how powerful speech is. And so I think that that unrighteousness and the way that we speak really actually is a pretty big deal. And, you know, we should be sensitive to the Spirit correcting us in the way that we speak, that if you feel the conviction of the Spirit in, you know, something that you're saying that's not right, I, I think we should be careful to be, you know, careful to listen to that, really, that it shouldn't be, we, we should not be, you know, trying to kind of push that that impulse down to say, like, well, it's, you know, justify, it's not really that big of a deal, but that we should really be examining ourselves. Because, you know, Jeremy, you brought this verse up earlier of, you know, Jesus says it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so, if we are speaking unrighteously, that's evidence that our heart is not in the right place. And so we should be careful to be seeking out, like, where is it that our heart is not right and be working to correct it. Amen. And I think uh, one last application point here, let's be holy, <laughs> right? And holiness means to be set apart. And that that is a particularly important thing with speech. The way that we talk as Christians should be distinct from the world. And both in that includes things we don't say as well as things we do say, right? Being encouraging to one another, speaking about Christ to people. I mean, we haven't even talked about that today, but preaching the gospel is, is sure one example of good speech, right? And uh, just to be set apart. Yeah. Don't be like the world in your speech, but build up others. Be salt and light in the world at your jobs, right? Instead of speaking the the, you know, I don't know, locker room talk, I guess that's a different analogy than your job. <laughs> but like locker room talk is something we should avoid as Christians, right? Um, don't say anything that uh, that uh, you wouldn't want your mother to hear. <laughs> it's perhaps kind of like a good litmus test here. Be set apart. Don't don't uh, de 
diminish your speech, I guess, to the level of everyone else around you. It's time for milk, not solid food. Well, there might be a few hapax legomenae that we can't understand 100% perfectly in this passage, but, you know, there are some things that Paul and the rest of the biblical authors say which are plenty easy to understand. So let's sit for a moment in the simple wisdom of Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Both our verbal words and the conversation in our heart. Let us have that be uh, full of thanksgiving to God. Well, in the words of the immortal philosopher Porky Pig, that's all, folks. We thank you for joining us. If anything you heard today has sent you into a blind theological rage, feel free to lambast us on social media using plenty of swears. <laughs> Alternatively, if you liked what you heard, have Bible verses you want us to break down, questions you think you, you think we can answer, or if you have feedback for us on when swears are appropriate and when they are not, you can send them to thejohn315podcast at gmail.com. That's thejohn315podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.